It's Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. This is our weekly opportunity to sit down with award-winning journalists from all over the East End and have a conversation that's a little bit of a deeper dive into the week's news. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. We publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Southampton, uh, sorry, Southampton Press, East Hampton Press, Stag Harbor Express, and the website 27east.com. And I shall also mention Express Magazine. Uh, my co-host is Bill Sutton, the managing editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. Stumbling out of the gate, which probably isn't a good sign. Uh, we have a good panel this week, though, who will pick me up. Uh, we have Denise Civiletti, who is the editor of Riverhead Local. Good morning, Denise. <laughs> Good morning, mega media empire magnate. <laughs> <laughs> can't keep it, track of them. Can't keep it straight. Uh, we also have Beth Young, who's the editor of the East End Beacon. Hey, Beth. Good morning. Good to have you. And uh, our own Kaylin Riley. She's a staff writer with the Express News Group. Hey, Kaylin. Hi, guys. How's it going? Thanks for coming out this morning. So I want to start with you, Kaylin. Um, a story we did this week that's getting a lot of interest locally, and that is the demise of a family business uh, that's been around for over 40 years in Southampton Village, Schmidt's Market. Um, And uh, I feel like this is sad because of Schmidt's Market, you know, being lost, but it it also hints at a much larger problem um, for the region and for the village, right? Yeah, there's a lot of interesting factors going on here, um, kind of at the forefront for them. You know, I went and interviewed Dennis Schmidt, um, who's the father, you know, patriarch of that family who started the business uh, more than 40 years ago. And his son, Dan, who is right around my age in his early 40s, um, has three kids who are teenagers. Um, Dan is one of three, um, siblings, but they, they all work in the store, but Dan's really the one who is there the most and is, you know, really running the store alongside his father, who's getting set to retire. Um, and he, you know, is, is kind of the predecessor to, um, to the business and the successor, you mean, he's going to, he was, he was, he was in line to take it over. Yeah. Also stumbling. Hey, I'm your editor. That's what I'm here for. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. We love editors. Um, so, so yes, he is the one who's, you know, poised to take over the business really is kind of running it already anyway. And, you know, they, they, the core problem is that they are really, just, you know, the rent just keeps going up. They're having a tough time um, coming to a good agreement with their their landlord and the building got put up for sale. Um, it, the asking price is $8 million, they say, which is, you know, really high, um, not, not really within the realm of possibility for, you know, most small businesses to to put up that kind of money. But, you know, there's been other factors that have made it hard for a business like, like theirs to survive, which is a shame because they are beloved. I mean, if you go, you know, on our Facebook page and look at that article, the number of shares that it has and the, the I was reading through the comments the other day, I mean, just nothing but like support for them, real like sadness and disappointment that they're going to be gone. People talking about what it is that they love about that place. Um, so it is really tough. And they're, you know, their last day is October 21st. They, they need to be out of the building by December 1st. And, you know, just a trip inside of that store and into the area where they, 
where their office is and where they store things really makes you realize like what a gargantuan effort it's going to be for them to pack everything up, get it out of there. And it's been really stressful for them, especially for Dan, who has his own family to support, but he's also really cares about a lot of his longtime employees who have been working there basically as long as he has. I mean, he started working there when he was nine with his father. And, you know, what do you tell people like that who have given, they've given you their life. I've, I've been, I've been, I've been going there for, for 20 years, um, you know, and, and, and it, it's the same people in, in the front yeah. of the store at the, you know, the, the cashiers and, and all that who, you know, are, are lifers and, and that was, you know, and, and dependent, I'm sure on, on that salary. And, and you feel, you know, you feel bad for the Schmitz, but you, you feel really bad for those employees too, that, you know, they and don't know they where were, they're going to they, end up. A big part of the appeal of that place too. I mean, sure. the, the staff, mm-hmm. the staff was wonderful. And oh, very it was a, a locally owned local place, local family, you knew everybody right. went in, you said hi and, and all that. And they're, so Kaylin, they're hoping to, um, to reopen somewhere else, but nothing's been, been decided yet. Right. Right. You know, what Dan said to me at one point that really stands out, he said, I just wish I had more time because that's what's making it so stressful because he doesn't know they do want to open somewhere else and they're they're working on that. But that takes time, you know, to figure out where the best location would be, sorting it all out financially and trying trying to get an affordable lease for a, you know, for a small family. Right. And so in the meantime, you know, what do you tell those employees like sit tight and just don't you know, but come back once we do find a place, especially when there's no guarantees. And, you know, it's really, really stressful. You can, you can tell how he said it's been really hard for him. He's losing sleep. He's feeling like physically ill from, from the stress of it, you know, and you're right. They are businesses like that, you know, though they it's people are worried that they could be a dying breed, which is sad. You know, when I was in there interviewing them, we were kind of casually chatting. I was telling him my husband is a teacher in the Southampton School District. And he was, he, I said, you may know him. My husband loves papayas. I was like, you may know him. He likes to go in. And he's like, oh yeah, we chat all the time. I know him. We always say hi. He always comes in and buys those marital papayas, you know? So like they, they have relationships with the people that come in there. It's not like, you know, it's just, not corporate. Yeah, exactly. So You know, and the other thing is there's been other factors aside from just the difficulty with the landlord. There's, you know, the proliferation of online shopping, the the fact that other businesses like Citarella have come into the neighborhood and, you know, they don't necessarily express bitterness about that. But as Dennis said, you know, when people who live in New York City are here they go to what they know and they know Citarella because it's a big chain and it's in New York city, all in many locations in New York city. So that's just kind of what they know. So they go there. So, you know, there's just, there's just a lot of factors, unfortunately working against a business like that. And it is a shame because they've been a staple in the village for so long, you know. It's interesting too, because there's a little bit of a locals versus um, newcomers thing. And, you know, I think locals really did, they were the core business for Schmidt's market. And Mm -hmm. you make the point that people who are here from the city would recognize Citarella's a little more readily. Um, That's sort of interesting. But I, you know, I wonder, guys, if this is sort of the tip of the iceberg for a lot of local businesses that, that we may see sort of a delayed effect from the pandemic. 
that they were able to get through the pandemic. But all of the pressures, and in this case, I think it really is just purely the real estate pressure uh, that we're talking about in this instance. But I see um, businesses starting to disappear quietly. Um, just the other day, driving through here in Hampton Bay's Gators, the restaurant is gone, uh, just sort of unceremoniously. Really? Um, and that building went up for sale. Uh, and and I think, I wonder if we're not going to see a ripple effect from the pandemic start to start to hit home as as people who own buildings, you know, people who who have businesses in in you know leased spaces are going to start to to get squeezed out because property values have changed, and and I, I think there's going to be a ripple effect from that. Are we yeah, seeing maybe, that? Uh, maybe more on the South Shore than than the than than in Riverhead, but. Um, I think there's probably a lot of small family-run businesses in Riverhead too that might be facing the same. I, I feel yeah. like a lot of, I mean, I feel like Riverhead experienced that with the boom of the big box destination retail corridor on 58. I mean, there weren't as many, obviously there weren't as many shopping centers before, but the ones that were there were um, inhabited mostly by, um, you know, with the exception of like a couple of anchor stores, small businesses uh, for the most part. And that's really changed, you know, um, with, with when you the think zoning of, that was put in place there. When you think about all the pressures, Beth, of what business owners are facing right now and, right. you know, rising rents and, you know, having trouble finding staff and, mm -hmm. and all those things. It's just, there's such a, uh, it's, it's, it's such a difficult time for any local business to survive, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think if you, if you were holding on this long, um, just holding it, you know, now you've got the recession to deal with. So what is that? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, uh, the cost of goods, I mean, the prices of everything are like 50 or more percent more than they were a year ago in store like uh, restaurants and whatnot up here um and uh and office space too is just you know re-envisioning office space I, nobody really knows where that's going to land um uh i know the big newspaper up here in the north fork is just uh downsizing to a spot in a shopping center uh the times review um and they've sold their building to the gas station across the street. Um, mm. And the owner, the owner of that gas station says, I think he wants to put some affordable housing back there, but housing, there's no yeah. like, site plan or anything at this point. So um, just all kinds know. of pressures from all kinds of directions. And yeah. Kalen, the thing about Schmidt's market too, that, that makes it even sadder. Uh, you talk about the impact on the people who work there as well, but this was a business owner who, you know, just a couple of years ago had a major fire and was able to bounce back from that, um, which is mm -hmm. the kind of thing that often takes a takes a uh, a business out. But but Kalen, they they really and they had a plan in place for the for uh, his son Dan to take over. It really is sort of blowing up out of out of nowhere. This isn't this well, isn't a business. And, and Kalen noted in in her story that after the fire, I mean the the Schmitz, um, you know, sunk a lot of their own money. Um, into into restoring the building after the fire and, and getting I think they did some some improvements too and took advantage of, of that but it wasn't just 
um, you know, the the building owner and insurance money. It was, you know, they they put a big chunk of money into uh, into reopening, right? Yes, Dan told me that, you know, in addition to the insurance money, they also put, he said, $175,000 of their own money into the building after the fire. He also told me that while they were closed during the time they were rebuilding, he continued to pay all of his employees. Mm. And, you know, I mean, (laughs) you see people working there for that long, that's that tells you everything you need to know about the way they're being treated, because why would you continue to work somewhere for that long if they didn't treat you well? It's not like a job where you're like, well, I hate this job and I get paid like a disgustingly high amount of money. And so I can't give it up. You know, it's, it's a blue collar job, but they're getting paid. They're getting paid. They're getting taken care of. So that's why they've been there for so long, you know, whereas if you work for a company that's corporate, I mean, it's, you're probably not getting treated like that, you know. And some of my part of the point I wanted to try and make there is that this isn't a case where someone retired early because the pressures of the job came and they just decided right. it was time to retire. This was a living, breathing business that yes. had a plan in place for succession that's mm-hmm. going now in danger of of going away. I mean, we, you know, we certainly wish them luck and hope that they can find another space, but the same real estate pressures that put them on the street are going to make it very hard to find another location. I mean, I'm not sure, you know, I've just, just thinking about it. I'm not sure there's that many spaces available um, that would, that would make sense, but certainly um, not in the village. I don't think. Yeah. What, and and what a, were they? A, what were they paying in rent, Kaylin? I think you said it. Uh, Dan said they're that they've been paying more than thirty thousand dollars a month, which is incredible. Like, yeah, I mean, it's again, it's very hard. I don't do know how. Sustain, like, how do you sustain yeah. things? That way? I mean, they said they. Dennis said that they haven't. He his words were, "We haven't turned a profit in ten years." He's like, "We make our salary, but that's it." So they're not really like. The business itself is like, I don't know if you call that breaking even or not, but they're, they're, they're paying their employees, they're paying themselves a salary, but it's not like there's, they're pulling in some sort of like extra, like nest egg chunk of change every, every month, you know, where they're like, you know, stocking it all away. I mean, they're, they're just kind of survive. They were just kind of surviving basically. I feel like uh, we're entering potentially dangerous times as far as that goes. And, and Schmitz may be the canary in the coal mine, uh, you know, with housing price priced out and mm-hmm. now businesses having trouble, too. I, I think it really strikes at the heart of what makes a community healthy. Um, yeah. It's something to be concerned about and not, not even to mention uh, when Schmitz goes out of that place and the building goes up for sale, if someone buys it, what might right. possibly happen to that to that piece of property. I mean, uh, yeah, that'll be well. You know, the next Dan stage. said. Dan said too. You know, if you come here in the morning, you you will see, you know, electrical contractors trucks. A lot of teachers go in there. A lot of people that were commenting on Facebook said, "Where else can I go to get a six dollar egg sandwich?" You know, like people really look to places like that for, the, you know, they they cater to you know the hardworking people that are around here, not just, you know, people who might want some certain type of, you know, Papaya. listen, Hey, I have to tell you, the, yeah, it's going to be rough mango. times over here 
for for us with the papayas. I don't know where Dave's going to go to get his papayas, but the fresh mango for lunch too. And they had the they have the fruit yes. bar uh, is an amazing uh, luxury. I always felt like it was a real luxury for lunch mm-hmm. being able to get that. So they will yeah. be missed, no yeah, question. This is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We are with the Express News Group, as is Kaylin Riley, who you just heard from. Uh, we also have Denise Civiletti from Riverhead Local and Beth Young of the East End Beacon. Uh, Denise, so we were talking off air. It's autumn. We all like to talk about leaves in the <laughs> autumn. I think people people are really interested. But this is, you actually have some news. Riverhead's leaf pickup program uh, has has been sort of a source of con- uh, but I don't want to know about controversy, but it's been in- tell tell us what's happening. Let's put it that way. I'm just I backing away from that. Fair description of it. Um, I, you know, there there's been an ongoing argument <clears throat> between the Riverhead Town Board and the Highway Superintendent, uh, who was uh, 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 Geo Woodson for the past dozen years or something like that, but. Um, over whether or not, over who pays for the leaf pickup, um, you know, it puts a it puts a strain on the highway department personnel because it comes it's it has to get done at a time when they're they're focusing on getting their equipment ready for the winter and putting up snow fencing to prevent drifting over of uh, some of the uh, you know farm field r- roads and and the farm belt here north of 58 and. Um, that's a lot of work and it takes a lot of time. And uh, the town, you know, residents really want their to get their loose leaves picked up. Uh, Riverhead has a thing, you know, we have uh, municipal garbage pickup in Riverhead and you can put your leaves out in brown paper bags and the, and the garbage carter will pick them up for uh, and bring them to a composting facility someplace. But um, people don't want to, and some people are unable to because of physical ailments and age and such, bag their leaves. The highway department has for a very long time come along and picked up the loose leaves and brought them to various places. And that's another problem, the place to deal with the leaves, you know, the number of options that the highway department has for dealing with the leaves, composting them, disposing of them, or whatever. <laughs> That that those options have narrowed, and um, it it's gotten more costly. And the highway superintendent was like, "Look, you know, if you really want the highway department to do this, you it, it has to be paid for out of the general fund. It's not legal to have it paid for out of the highway fund because this is not a highway function. It was like um, kind of equated to t- the town board telling residents, okay, you can throw your garbage in the street, and then having requiring the highway department to pick it up and get rid of it i mean it you know it's it's a sanitation function basically and uh, they were just arguing back and forth over this and uh, like every year around this time of year there would be this whole like brinksmanship thing and uh, this town board in a couple years ago ordered the highway superintendent to do this and it got pretty uh, bitter um and of course, there was like he was one of the only uh, elected Democrats in the town. I don't know to what extent that factored into it, but uh, oh, I'm sure not at all. Of, not at all. <laughs> there was a lot of bad blood and um, going back a long time. And uh, so in any event, 
Um, when the new highway superintendent was elected last year, his GEO's uh, deputy, Mike Zaleski, um, he, he said, you know, he agreed with GEO and, and said that he wanted the town to get an opinion from the state attorney general or the comptroller or somebody to say, you know, whether this was legal or not. And so they got that opinion. And guess what? Um, it's it. Geo was right. <laughs> uh, it's a highway. It's not a highway function. It has to come. There's a, actually a 1976 uh, comptroller's opinion to this effect that was already there um, saying, you know, it has to be paid for out of the general fund. So the town board has authorized an agreement to um, have this, the highway superintendent do it. And, and they're allocating like $220,000 out of the town budget general fund to uh, accomplish the job. Um, you know, it's, but, it's, it's but interesting, that, but, but that that so for so for the resident, uh, the res continue. that's what uh, people care about. So. Re residents aren't going to notice a difference. Right. And and to be honest, I'm a Riverhead resident and have been for five years. I didn't know there was an option to put loose leaves, loose leaf um, piles on the street. I've always used the bags when I when I, well, I have to admit when I when I actually bother to uh, to, to you got to read Riverhead right Local, man. I mean, you know, <laughs> we've been writing about loose leaf. I do. I do all the time. Oh, on a weekly basis for the last 10 years. <laughs> but this is also an issue. Like, I mean, it's an issue everywhere, right? I mean, this we went is through similar, a very similar issue in South, Southampton Town a few years ago, yeah. right? When Alex Greger, you know, first came into office as highway superintendent, he didn't want to do leaf pickup at all. And there was a lot of brinksmanship. Um, and he and changed, it was ironic. He changed, to me. he changed the program a bit and made it very limited to certain he, people he, over a certain age. I think it was seventy-two at the time, or it was seventy-three. I think, and which was it an seemed number. like such a random number yeah. to choose, which which was odd. Um, it raises the question, Bill. Uh, it occurs to me that we probably should ask our new highway superintendent, Charles McArdle, whether yeah. uh, he has any plans to change the leaf program because. Uh, yeah, these moving parts. And, and Beth, I'll, I'll ask you, because you've been observing this throughout the region um, for a long time. I mean, this, this comes up regularly, right? It's about the bag yeah. leaves versus the loose leaves. And, and you know, yeah, it's absolutely. It, and the uh, the age restrictions is in Southampton, especially the rules are so weird and they keep changing it's like the star program like you never know <laughs> from year to year whether you qualify and then like i'm just i'm looking like uh southampton's pickup is 70 this year but you have to have registered by the end of september uh-oh um <laughs> so but i mean you can still put your um bag leaves out in southampton town but um okay. back when uh Back when East Hampton had all their financial problems um, right at, uh, during the Great Recession, when they took money from the CPF fund, um, when they were trying to get back on their feet, one of the big things that they cut was leaves. And I don't know if that was ever reinstated, um, but at the time it was like really like people were as upset about the leaves not being part of. Uh, Scandalous. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I'd like yeah. to have them take that lease okay. vacuum and just suck up the contents of my house as well. <laughs> With three kids. I mean, I would pay extra for that. Just, just open the front door and put it on max speed and, you know, boom, cleaning you get one of those home blowers. You could blow I, out the house. Peter has done that. I want I the one where it sucks it up, up and takes yeah. it all away. 
See, at, at, at my house, Kaylin, it would just get clogged up with dog hair and, and it would. <laughs> that would happen machine. here too. Dog hair, <laughs> Legos, goldfish, you name it. Yeah, there's oh, a fine for Legos things. ending up in your leaf bags. Sure. You know, it, it it raises another question too, Bill. When you know we've talked about this at the Hampton Bay's uh, transfer station, the town facility, the mountains of leaves now and and mulch uh, that are being created there uh, are are pretty stunning um, when you stop by there. Uh, and and I think it's it's been an issue for the town, right? I think the DEC has noticed that. It, and it, it, it was. There was. We we certainly need to catch up on that. And I don't know what the latest is, but but there was um, there there was discussion about whether the town was required to have a permit um, there for a composting facility, and they didn't have a permit. Um, and and questions about what was happening with that compost. And I mean, it was always a cool thing, right? That the people could come, residents could come anyway and pick up free compost, um, you know, and, and and that was neat, but it's it's a fire hazard. When you've got mounds of, of, of leaves and compost that high, that stuff catches on fire. It just, it's so hot in, inside the, you know, the compost that, that that it just it just burns and burns and burns and you know and it's crazy it's a real hazard and I know the town had to I'm just trying to remember back the town had to install um, you know cement or concrete uh, flooring underneath the piles and that was the first controversy and I think the town did that but then there was a question about the permitting and and all that good question we should figure out where that stands just generating lots of stories for Kitty Merrill right now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we should have a leaf beat. Uh, I think people care. People care. People care about it that much. I believe. I mean, you know, it, it does have a ripple effect. A lot of people wonder whether the leaf program in all of the all of these towns are taking away from you know the the resources to to help rebuild roads. And, and you know, it uh, it's interesting though. Circling back, Denise, that that this ruling in Riverhead, this change in policy means that the, the highway department's funds aren't going to be depleted dealing with leaves. I feel like that's appropriate, that this is not really a highway. I mean, even though they're tasked with dealing with it, it's um, not really a highway department. Uh, you know, yeah, but, it's not, but it could result in a, in, a, in a little bit of a tax increase, right? If it's going to have to come out of the general fund and not an existing um highway budget that was already there the town's going to have to find a way to pay for that yeah it's not a little bit of money really i mean yeah. you know and in, in the scheme of the town's budget that's you know that's a significant expenditure um but um you know nobody likes that, to pay more taxes right, but, but i but the i highway do think funds this is not a slush fund is the is the point you know they, right. they can't use it that way and i think they like to any chance they get use some other fund <laughs> whether it's the water district fund or the CPF or whatever, you know, if they can get away with that, I think, you know, that's been going on for decades, but uh, well, the CPF is, is, you know, the place <laughs> where you can go for money for a whole wide range of things, apparently yeah. <laughs> nowadays, especially, but uh, so, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, and this, and the agreement says this is going to just continue uh, and it's going to, you know, they're going to increase the amount they're going to pay the highway department for this service based on some FEMA rate schedule that, you know, as that goes up, this will, this will increase. So. Mm. 
It's like well, an it's ongoing service. Thing. I think we've all seen it. It's a service that people really care about. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if they oh, and, might and, see that re reflected in their tax bills. As a Riverhead resident, I'm I'm as long as it's not a huge increase, I'm happy to pay for that. I mean, I hear stories on you know on on South Shore that you've got to you've got to pay a carter to come in and take the leaves, or you've yeah. got to try to figure out how to get them to to you know to the landfill yourself, or or whatever. I mean, it's the same thing with municipal garbage here in Riverhead. I mean, I I, I love that. I I pay for that through through my you know, property taxes, and there's a, a special fee for that and, and all that. But it's nice knowing those guys are coming, um, you know, twice a week and, you know, and, and collecting the leaves too. And it's not something I have to worry about hiring, you know, a, a carter or, or, or hauling or, it to, a, you know, to oh the, my God, the towns, I can't imagine. you know, yeah. Joe's garden tips for the first time last year, I Against all advice from actual gardening folks, I mulched the leaves. I mulch mowed the leaves right atop the lawn uh, to let that just serve as a as a winter coverage for the lawn. My lawn looks better this summer than it did last year. All yeah. the gardening people mm -hmm. told me that's not a good idea, that the leaves are too acidic, I believe. Uh, and it can be bad for your grass, but I no, actually I thought it worked good. pretty well. So. That fertilizer, I kind of do that, too. I'm also cheap. So that that, you know, that's the cheaper way to do it. So. Well, you know, and it's kind of fun. I kind of I kind of blow the leaves all into one corner and then I get out there with the lawnmower and it takes a little while because you have to go in layers. But it, it's kind of cool. It's kind of fun to kind of mulch. Those you should leaves. just you should just create. Yeah, you should just create a um, compost pit. Bill. I mean, it depends on how oh, many leaves you have. See, that's the thing. Like, you know, some of these properties, I'm sorry, but like a waiting river, uh, you know, I mean. They're, they're all wooded. Like you've got yeah. people with like, you know, half acre of woods in their backyard. And with that comes a lot of leaves to deal with. And I think that's where most of the objections came from that and like senior citizens. Yeah. That's why it matters to people. And, and, and we'll I be talking like about I, it. I feel like I do have a compost pit, Joe, it's just not intentional. <laughs> <laughs> it just sort of turns out that it's way. Kind I of that. We'll, we'll there, give you yeah. a composting award. <laughs> <laughs> this is behind the headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Our panelists today are Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Beth Young of the East End Beacon, and Kaylin Riley of our Express News Group. Uh, Beth, uh, we want to talk about the North Fork Audubon Society. They are celebrating a milestone. And uh, you were talking about the fact that this is a group that does a lot more than just uh, maybe what its name implies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the North Fork Audubon Society, they've been around for 50 years now, uh, this year. And they're one of many nature organizations on the East End that is celebrating 50 years this year. Um, a lot of them were founded you know, in the midst of the environmental movement in the 70s. Um, but North Fork Audubon is really very, um, very, they have a very uh, active and dedicated uh, group of volunteers that does, they do like the piping plover monitoring programs along the beaches. Um, they uh, do a lot of programming about uh, climate change. Uh, they they are running, um, they have uh, gardening workshops for helping people uh, start pollinator gardens and native gardens and whatnot. And they uh, are the caretakers of this um, 
building on a Suffolk County Parks property in Greenport at Inland Pond County Park, which is a really beautiful park. Um, and they want to turn it into a nature center that's like open to the public on a regular basis. Right now it's, you know, they're doing a lot of work to get the building um, to a point where it can have a lot of public in it a lot, a lot of the time. And, and COVID kind of put a, put the brakes on them doing that. But at this point, they're, they're really have a concerted effort to, um, to make this a real nature center where they, where they can have programming on a regular basis. Um, they have a lot of kids programs, summer camps, uh, and they've been, this year they were able to work with CAST, which is uh, in Southfield, it's a place where people go when they need food or heating assistance or to try to find a place to live, which nobody can help anybody with right now. Um, but CAST also runs a lot of youth education programs, so they are partnering with them. So, um, and one of the things they're involved with is this uh, national um, uh National Park in Your Backyard initiative that a uh, uh, a wildlife ecologist in Pennsylvania named Doug Talame is putting together, where you you make if you can get enough backyard habitat for all kinds of native creatures, including birds and pollinators, if if enough of that is contiguous, you can really rebuild ecosystems, and you can do it in your own backyard. And if your neighbor is also doing it, then you have like a pathway for for the wildlife um, to uh, continue to have uninterrupted habitat, which is a, is a big issue. Um, I feel like that's that's an idea that that needs to take hold here, and I think there's a real opportunity to make this region um, sort of a special place as far as pollinators, especially. I mean, uh, yeah, and they're they're under threat, and and uh, you know from so many, you know, not only chemical threat. And I, you know, you also just have, I, I think people are more well-informed now than they used to be about, uh, for instance, if you have like a, a honeybee infestation, you don't call somebody to come kill the bees. You call somebody to come relocate the bees. That's just as easy and just as effective. But these are the kinds of things, I mean, these we're, we're gaining on that little by little because of organizations like this, right, Beth? I mean, they, 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 they've been around for 50 years, but I think their work has probably never been more important. Yeah, absolutely. And they've got just such a really dedicated group of people. Um, and, and it's, and, the, and they're all excited about it. So the energy is really positive. They have these native plant sales in the spring and the fall. You have to get there early because people just come and they just get all the plants right away. Um, uh, and it's just like to see that kind of excitement is really cool. Well, congratulations to, to them for celebrating 50 years. I mean, you know, it's a remarkable thing uh, that an organization is able to last a half century. And as you said, there's so many of those organizations that, that have an environmental uh, focus that started, you know, a half century ago and are still going strong. So uh, tip of the hat to uh, the North Fork, uh, the, the, North, the North Fork Audubon Society. Caitlin, you wanted to say something? No, no, I'm good. I'm good. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you feel like you're holding something back on us there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean we. I love. I love the. I do love the idea of of backyard habitat restoration. I mean, I think that's a beautiful thing. We love to see the wildlife over here. We have a butterfly bush where my kids love to see the monarch butterflies there. 
you know, we got some turkeys that have been hanging out in our front yard lately. My dog's very interested in them. Um, But it is, it's like you, it's, it's lovely to be able to see that. And it's necessary to provide, to provide homes for native creatures for so many reasons. We just live in such a, we just live in such a beautiful area and it's organizations like this. I think that help us remember that um, when, when we start to forget. There are turkeys everywhere, and everywhere. no one told them Thanksgiving is coming. So. <laughs> <laughs> everywhere. Oh, they know. Trust me. <laughs> I have my milk. We put our milkweed in the ground uh, just recently, so I'm hopeful that next year we'll see an abundance of uh, pollinator. Our pollinator plants are in the ground and growing. So fingers crossed, because we don't. I don't really have much of a green thumb. So, um, so Denise, let's switch gears, and I want to talk about. Uh, the EPCAL facility and the organization Triple Five, which uh, talked about its plans at EPCAL this week, but you're kind of skeptical, right? Yeah, I'm. I'm sitting here thinking about my zinnias. Sorry, it's <laughs> okay. We can keep talking about it. It's a bit of a train wreck to go from that to EPCAL, so we yeah. can transition if it helps. Oh, Lordy, Lordy. Um, okay. I don't know where to begin. I don't know where I left off or whatever, but uh, I don't know also what uh, you covered with Alec last week in my absence. But um, so they, um, this company that the town's been in a contract with since 2018 to sell 1,644 acres of uh, land at the uh, former Grumman facility in, in Calverton. Um, uh, unveiled its latest plans because uh, they've evolved, let's say, now that's not even fair. They've changed over the years. Um, and um, at, before the Riverhead uh, Industrial Development Agency uh, meeting uh, a, a week ago, almost two weeks ago now, and um, the plans call for the development um, overall of over like 8.4 million square feet of uh, logistics warehousing um, situated along both runways at the uh, at what we call EPCAL, the Enterprise Park at Calverton, uh, a name in search of an acronym. Uh, but um, the uh, and four, 400,000 square feet of um, uh, offices for Firms, they say, will be uh, research and development, medical research, education, et cetera. And um, they talked about how they are going to um, use both runways for cargo planes, um, that the um, the uh, planes will bring goods to the facility. They're going to build uh, aprons for the planes to you know, m- maneuver up to these big buildings and uh, they're going to build new taxiways for the planes to use and um, parking for like 12,000 cars. I don't wow. like structured park. Yeah, it's like this thing, a real big thing, <laughs> a big hairy thing. And so, you know, they unveil these plans to the Riverhead Industrial Development Agency looking for, you know, tax abatements. And it's complicated what they're doing there with the town. It's a joint application. That's a long story. but um and and we've talked about it before and it's i don't know that it's worth getting into at this point but the bottom line is they're bringing in cargo by by cargo jets and they're going to put things in these warehouse logistics facilities which are then going to um you know 
they're going to be leased to various tenants, they're saying. And then, you know, tractor trailers are going to pick up the uh, the cargo, the goods from these facilities and bring them to other smaller logistics facilities in other places. Like we've got a few of them proposed currently in, in Riverhead and Calverton, actually outside of that facility. And then from there, a user like, say, Amazon or Walmart or something will be able to you know, their vans will pick up and deliver so that everybody can get the things they ordered yesterday delivered today. So, and we all do that, these, right? I mean, like, I'm, uh, you know. These kind of facilities are going to be, I mean, they're going to pop up all over, right? I mean, it, so, and, and you, yes, you're going to need are. a major, you're going to need a major one somewhere. Is is Uptown a good site for that? Well, I mean, it it is if you live far away from there, I guess, but <laughs> people who live in Calverton and Riverhead don't think so. Sorry, Beth. Just how many cargo planes a day are they talking about? Well, we don't know. I mean, like they yeah. they didn't say we don't know about hours of operation. And I think the key thing here is that as far as I can tell, the town's going to have a hard time controlling anything that goes on there because they're selling these runways to these right. to this private developer. So, you know, will they be getting FAA funding? Like what what is the future of this thing? Because um, the initial buildings that they're talking about building are uh, the, the logistics buildings are 300,000 square feet each. And then they're talking about building a 400,000 square foot rail depot because the town had like revitalized, re improved or whatever, the existing rail spur that went into the site. So they're talking about that, but then the rest of the buildings, three more buildings on the 10,000 foot Eastern runway and three or four, I forget, I have the drawings, uh, more buildings on the Western runway, which is currently classified as inactive. So they're gonna have to reactivate that. And those uh, subsequent buildings are 1.44 million square feet each. Oh my goodness. Um, so it's, oh, I mean, I mean, I think we, if we it have... gets built out like that, it's a significant yeah. you know, facility. And I, I have to say, I was around then that the, in fact, I was on the town board, I, I'm sorry to say that long ago, but in 1989, 1990, you may have read this in your history books, kids, but like the town, like the, the FAA was pushing to make EPCAL, what we call EPCAL today, a, a cargo jet port to relieve cargo traffic congestion at JFK, which is the only downstate airport that has any significant cargo um, and and that was pre Amazon. I mean, that, that was, was pre all online. That was in yeah, the of course. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that, I mean, I think it might have been even pre credit cards. I'm not sure. No, um, but like really, it was pre women was that being able to use down. credit cards without a husband, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so I mean, you know, who knows? We don't know. That's the point. <clears throat> I'm sorry. <clears throat> sorry. I, when oh. I get upset, you see what happens. Um. <laughs> like the point is that we don't know really what's planned because these plans have not been presented to the town board or the planning board or anything at all. Like a, a completely uh. different plans were presented to them and, and they were, you know, determined to be qualified and eligible and all the other stuff based on a completely different set of plans. Now they roll this out before the IDA. And how would you characterize the town's position on this? Are they excited? Or are they skeptical? Or are they or do or are they just keeping their their cards close to the vest? 
Well, I mean, the only town official that I know of that's really spoken out much about this is the town supervisor. And I I would say that over that that kind of I don't I want I don't know if I should say mixed. It's hard to know exactly, but I think over the overriding thing for the town board is that if this property is tr is transferred or uh, uh, developed, let's say, because it's not going to be transferred because this whole joint application thing with the IDA. But if if this works, they're going to get forty million dollars, well, thirty nine million dollars. They got a, a million in down payment already, and I think they're focused on that because you know sure. that's going to help the bottom line, folks. You know that the town pay, is looking to pierce pay, the tax for, cap this year. Pay, pay um, for that leaf pickup. So yeah, exactly. Pay for that leaf pickup somehow. So I mean, you know, that there is a, a mighty but, but the town board, there, but the know? town board, I mean, your your point is the town board isn't really discussing this because it's been presented to the IDA, not not the town board. Is that correct? It, it, it has not been discussed by the town board, correct? At least not publicly. Like I yeah. I, I can't it, I, I I find it hard to imagine that something of this magnitude can be presented to the IDA. And remember, the town signed the joint application to the IDA, mm. all right, for this, for these abatements and tax exemptions. So how did, I mean, could they have signed an application without knowing what the plan was? I mean, unfortunately, that may be mm. possible, but, uh, you know, but, that seems so that's crazy. How, that's how people get airports in their backyards, right? Yeah. I, you know, so we don't know exactly. Sorry, Beth. No, that's okay. And they all made speeches when they agreed to sign the application saying that that this would cement their legacy as doing great things for Riverhead. And it's, it sounds at this point. That like, I don't know. I mean, but back then also the supervisor was saying, we're yeah. going to know if they've got what it takes to develop this site because the, yeah. screen, the vetting the town did previously was inadequate. And she actually came out and said, that this could be a good way to get rid of this developer. But now she's all in. Like, I, you know, yeah. so I, I have now she's saying it's going to be this is. And here's the thing that really, uh, believe it or not, that actually gets me aggravated because uh, I wasn't really there yet. But <laughs> but um, they're saying that like they make this whole presentation. They file these plans. The documents are on the town's website. There's an economic analysis report. Um, you know, engineered site plans showing all of these things. They make this presentation. The video of the presentation is on the town's website. And I'm going through all of this just to say, like, anybody can go to townofriverheadmy.gov and look at this stuff. Um, but nevertheless, they are now they are saying, oh, no, no, that's not what we're going to do. And the, and the attorney mm -hmm. for uh, or the PR firm, I'm not sure which for this developer issued a statement saying we're not going to be constructing a cargo terminal using the word terminal which is a term of art you know um that that means something else a cargo like airport um we're not going to be doing that and this is going to be an innovation hub for you know next next generation aerospace and all of uh, these like kind of vague which, terms that they which, were saying right along which could still include cargo Moving cargo. Uh, right. You know, I don't it's, know how it's, you it's a, it's a, it's a and, buzzword, and they, though, too. I mean, we heard the same thing in, in Southampton Town, you know, 20 years ago when they were, were building out the, the industrial park at Gabreski, that it was going to be a tech hub, an innovative hub. 
and this and that. And not not that it didn't turn out well, but there's, you know, there's a, a cookie bakery there now and, you know, and, and some other businesses that are not tech related. And Amaz- not Amazon. Well, I Amazon. Yeah, Amazon. I, I, yeah, exactly. I know they've, they've completely mischaracterized. Well, I mean, like they've completely mischaracterized what they presented to in, a, in this statement, what they've presented to the IDA. They they no. just flat out mischaracterize it. It's not even just like, oh, they're using these other words, you know. They're saying, no, we're not doing that. And and they characterize it in a completely different way. And we're um, you know, writing about that now. But like Yeah, well, I'm glad how do you I'm do glad that? you guys are I'm glad you, know. you guys are on it. I know it's no. I don't I don't like well, to see you upset, Denise, but I'm glad you're on it <laughs> and asking those questions. I have a blood pressure monitor in my office here. Um no, <laughs> <I'm> kidding. <laughs> keep keep it keep it handy. Uh, before we're gonna lose Kaylin Riley here in a couple of minutes, and I want to give her a few minutes to talk about a story she did this week uh, about a local group. And they did a distribution to families out here of a product that we don't often think about uh, necessarily specifically when we talk about a family's needs, but it's just as important. Tell, tell us about that. Diapers. So, you know, this cause was close to my heart because I have three children and we are out of diapers, but haven't been for super long. And so, yeah, Hamptons Community Outreach, which is a fabulous organization that does so many things for a lot of different families and communities in need on the East End. Um, it's run by an incredible woman, Marit Mollen, who just has so much good energy and ideas. Um, they partnered with um, the Allied Organization, which is a group of um, pediatricians who, and in different offices all over Long Island from the East End to like New York City area. Um, because they've seen a need, like a lot of pediatricians will see, there are families who, families who are struggling financially, who may be on government assistance um, for food. Uh, They, they can't afford diapers often. And diapers are a necessity. I mean, if anyone, anyone who has ever had babies or children know, like they, you need diapers and you need a lot of them, especially if you have a family where you have more than one child in diapers at once, it can rapidly become a really big cost every month. And um, they're not covered under government programs like WIC or SNAP. So sometimes people have a really hard time. And they should be. I Uh, just want to say. I mean, don't even listen. Don't get me started over here about these <laughs> sort of things that families and women don't get provided by our government. Otherwise, we're going to have, I'm going to need Denise's blood pressure monitor. She's going to need to send that to me through the screen. So, um, But you know yeah, something, so, Kilo, something sure. you mentioned in your story that I thought was really interesting is that diapers translate to not only children's health, but to their parents' ability, like, you know, to put them in ch- childcare, you have to often deliver them with diapers you 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 know that this means people can't work sometimes they have to take days off all right well joe you got me started so now here i go (laughs) the things that people need when they are families or mothers when they when those things don't get provided to them it drives people who are already in poverty deeper into poverty so so if you're not provide, if you send your, if you have a job and you send your child to daycare, some federally funded daycares do provide diapers, but many do not. And some private, you know, 
some that aren't federally funded don't. You are supposed to send your child into daycare with a day's supply of diapers every day. That can be six to eight diapers. And if you do not send them in with those diapers, they will tell you, sorry, you, we cannot have your child come in today. So if you're a parent and you have a job and you don't have enough diapers, well, guess what? Then you can't go to work that day. So now you've lost the income because you had to stay home with your kid because your kid doesn't have diapers. And if that happens to you enough times, it stands to reason you might lose that job. So something as simple as being able to provide diapers for your kid could really spell economic doom for a lot of families in, in a way that can have like a huge ripple effect. So this Hampton, there is no official diaper bank in Suffolk County. So this the allied organization, they really work to find different community partners because they have a good stockpile of diapers. They find different community partners to help distribute them. That's that's how they teamed up with Hampton's community outreach. So they, you know, in the rain, you know, on Saturday, they were at the Unitarian Church in Bridgehampton. They had people distributing diapers. And Hampton's community outreach has done diaper, other diaper drives as well in the local community. So, you know, if you are so inclined and you're at the grocery store and you want to pick up some diapers, they're a great organization to give them to. They also gathered um, feminine hygiene products, tampons, pads, and distributed those as well and got them to people because that's another item. That's a necessity that people don't often think of that's costly. And, you know, Merritt was telling me that they hear stories about teen girls who if their families cannot afford to buy them tampons or pads, they end up having to skip school on those days. Again, driving them further. They're already at a disadvantage. And then when they have to miss several days of school, they fall behind academically. The whole like vicious cycle just kind of repeats itself. So it seems simple, diapers, tampons, but providing those things for people, it and and not providing them has such a ripple effect. It's really, really important. It's we have to start expanding the idea of what necessities are when we're thinking mm-hmm. about what people need. Yeah, uh, we're out of time. Uh, great conversation this week. I want to thank our panelists, Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Beth Young of the East End Beacon, and Kaylin Riley of our own Express News Group. Thank you, guys. Uh, and also thanks to Bill Sutton, my co-host. Thanks, Bill. We'll thank see you, you here next week. See you here next week again. Uh, Thanks for listening. This is Behind Deadlines on WLIWFM. Have a good weekend.